Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo, I am the author of the film review website Quipster.net. You can go there, find over 4,000 of my written reviews. Yes, I've been doing film reviews since 1996, and check them out, covering all eras of film. Quipster.net is where to go, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I just finished a trio of high school films that had a time travel aspect to them. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Peggy Sue Got Married, and My Science Project. And, you know, why not continue with the most well-known of them all? I'm going to be doing today, Back to the Future, kicking off a trilogy of the Back to the Future films because they all came out in the 1980s. It's a comedy sci-fi film. It's PG-rated for language and violence, the runtime is an hour and 51 minutes. The main star is Michael J. Fox, with supporting roles going to Christopher Lloyd, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, Thomas F. Wilson, Claudia Wells, Mark McClure, Wendy Jo Sperber, and a whole host of other smaller roles for some people you'll recognize. The director is Robert Zemeckis, who also co-writes the screenplay along with Bob Gale. Now, Back to the Future is one of those films that's so popular, I don't know that I could really do a review that would sway anybody's opinion one way or another. This is a purely entertaining movie, and very successful at that. I do think that it is a wholly inspired film. It is brilliantly executed. The brainchild of co-screenwriters Bob Gale, who also did Used Cars with Robert Zemeckis. This one's chock full of in-jokes, sight gags. It makes it a very easy film to revisit time and again. It's very appropriate for a movie that deals with time travel. The screenplay by Zemeckis and Gale would go on to be nominated at the Oscars for Best Original Screenplay and certainly is quite a screenplay worth celebrating. It's a Steven Spielberg production. At that time, Spielberg was virtually synonymous with visual effects-laden, family-friendly, imaginative, comedic fare, it's not the first time that Steven Spielberg worked with Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. He served as executive producer on their first film, I Want to Hold Your Hand, back in the 70s. And then they wrote the screenplay to Spielberg's 1979 film, 1941. That one was considered a misfire, at least at the time. While Back to the Future doesn't always make logical sense, time travel movies always seem to be a bit of a headache to resolve in your mind, it does cover most of its holes by being perpetually energetic. It's ingeniously hilarious in a way that you won't mind some of those paradoxes that may pop up if you really want to think about the time travel aspect of the film. This is a fulfillment of a fantasy, not only in what it says about family and unity, but also about tapping into that dream that all high school geeks and nerds share, which is they want to stand up to bullies, they want to get the girl, they want to make a difference in the lives of everyone around them. Certainly, that's something that Marty McFly gets to do in this film. Michael J. Fox is playing Marty McFly. He's a 17-year-old, a spirited teenager. He doesn't seem to quite fit in with his current family, so much so that he spends a great deal of his time helping out an eccentric local scientist named Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, in some of his kooky experiments. One night, Doc calls Marty out to an empty mall parking lot to witness his latest triumph, a souped-up DeLorean. 
that he has modified as a time machine. Upset that Doc Brown has used the plutonium given to make a proposed nuclear bomb for his own machine, some angry terrorists gun him down in cold blood, and that leaves Marty with no other choice than to escape in the DeLorean, which sends him back in time to the date that Doc first came up with the idea for time travel back in November 15th, 1955, which also happens to be the date that Marty's parents met and fell for each other. Problems end up ensuing. Marty's mother, played by Leah Thompson, begins to fall for him instead of his father, which would completely negate the existence of Marty as well as his siblings. So Marty has to find a way for his parents to fall in love and to get back to the future without the nuclear component that is necessary with only the younger Doc Brown, the one who hasn't quite mastered time travel, to help him. Now, Bob Gale said that he conceived of the film while he was thumbing through his dad's or maybe his granddad's senior yearbook, and he saw his father's picture and some of his involvement in the school activities. He wondered if he had somehow been able to actually go back to high school and dad's time there, that if he would have been someone who would be friends with his own father and what he might have been like at the age of 17 or 18. It may seem hard to conceive for most kids in high school to think that they may have had anything in common with their own parents at the same age. Back to the Future ends up being an exploration of whether that notion might have been true, as many of the hopes and the dreams and the trials and the tribulations and the disillusionments might be universal to the times, even if the music and the fashion and the customs have been different in separate eras. Marty's parents seem so entrenched in their ways in the present day, and they seem so passionless in their marriage with each other. This is a film that wonders, was there ever a time when that wasn't true? Marty's going to find out when they are at the beginning of their love affair. Back to the Future is, at the same time, an embracing of the cultures of both the 1950s as well as the 1980s, and it's also a satire that pokes fun at the differences between those two eras. And perhaps no other actor exudes that Reagan-era young preppy as Alex P. Keaton himself, Michael J. Fox. Marty McFly embodies many things that the 1950s just are not ready for, some of which he exploits for his own purposes, such as a rampant fear of alien invasions that he uses to kind of spook the people of the time. While Marty's parents like to look back on their childhoods as an idyllic time of innocence, as presented here, the 1950s seem like an even more bizarre world to live in. With its naive points of view, the repressive relationships, the denial about its own flaws, Back to the Future actually does manage to touch on some of those key differences, such as racism and the imbalance of the sex roles, but it does so without ever losing the lighthearted energy that imbues the rest of the story. In addition to the comparisons between the eras, there's also a more universal theme of not allowing fear of change to run one's life. In order for George to fulfill his destiny and to find happiness, he has to overcome his fear that he might be rejected by Lorraine if he were to ask her to the big dance. George has to be able to stand up to the school bully, Biff, or he'll let him run his life what little there is of it in terms of living his life the way he would like. And it's something that we can all relate to because our life is guided by taking advantage of opportunities. If we decline to act when the opportunity arises or to do the right thing at the right time, our lives, our futures, our ability to feel satisfaction are going to forever be hampered by our actions or our inactions during those critical crossroads in our formative years. 
The difficulty here for Marty is that his presence does have an immediate effect on his own future. He may never come to exist if his parents never fall in love. He doesn't want things to change, which creates the crux of the film's dilemma. He has to foster the impetus to change in his mother and his father, but in such a way that the results are fundamentally the same in setting up for their and Marty's future. In the end, though, it's really George who has to make the decision to change, regardless of all of the implorations of Marty. And that introduces another conundrum for the film, in that once one's fate has been altered, even if it can be repaired, it won't be the same. Each action causes ripple effects that alter perspectives and feelings throughout one's life, to the point where one's life might be quite different than what might have been if failing to act. It's as if one's past is not set in stone, as commonly believed, but our future is, based on what actions we take in that past. Now, the casting here is fantastic all around. It's hard to believe that Michael J. Fox was a last-minute substitute to play Marty McFly. He filled in for an intense Eric Stoltz, who departed shortly after several weeks of filming had begun because Bob Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg felt that he wasn't really performing well to the zanier comedic intricacies of the role. Reportedly, Michael J. Fox was Zemeckis' top choice to play Marty McFly, but he was available at the time that they were going to start filming because he was on the show Family Ties. But in the interim, on a hiatus, Fox became available, and the rest is like the 1950s history. Although they originally had wanted John Lithgow in the role, Christopher Lloyd is equally suitable as a spirited but brilliant crackpot scientist having to span a Dr. Emmett Brown at two times in his life 30 years apart, and he does play both the younger and older role convincingly. The old age makeup for Marty's parents, whose kids look nothing like them and nothing like each other, that's less convincing. But the performances from Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson are energetic and they're fun to the point where you won't mind. Thomas F. Wilson, I don't think he gets enough credit. He makes for a fantastic heavy, not only in this film, but also the next two films in the series. He's imposing, but he is comical in all of the best ways. He's playing the meat-headed bully Biff, who retains a likability despite the fact that he is a bit of an ignoramus and not very kind either. And of course, not only is this film a treat for the eyes and the mind, it also has a great use of sound. It garnered Oscar nods for best sound mixing and sound editing. The score also is one of the film's highlights. And the soundtrack, of course, is also very memorable. It utilizes two now classic Huey Lewis in the news tracks that were made for the film, The Power of Love and Back in Time. Huey Lewis also gets a cameo appearance in the film as a judge in Marty's high school talent competition. Now, at the time of its release, Back to the Future was a film that critics had a few mixed feelings about, but audiences loved it, and they made it one of the biggest hits of the decade. Over the years, Back to the Future has become really a family classic, although it has its share of adult languages and themes, including an edible subplot. But it's a quintessential 80s film, and it exudes a wide-eyed charm, a lot of American nostalgia, and a celebration of the geek as part of popular culture. It has become a critical classic as well. It ranked number 10 on AFI's best science fiction films, and it has been accepted into the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. This is a fun and breezy viewing experience that offers some smart escapism, provided you're willing to go with the flow of the illogical plot in exchange for some laughs and a good time, and I feel like almost everyone will. And like most things Spielberg at the time, this is a populist feel-good movie that should appeal to just about everyone. There's no conundrum. 
in deciding whether it's worth seeing Back to the Future in the future. If you haven't, I can't believe you haven't, but if you haven't, do so. And there's also no shame in going back time and again to experience Back to the Future if you have. I'm giving four stars to Back to the Future. Four stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a film I would recommend to anyone. If you haven't seen it, definitely see it. If you've seen it, watch it again. It's a great film. And another reason to watch it again, I'm going to be going into the sequels, Back to the Future Part 2 and Back to the Future Part 3. They were filmed back-to-back and both released in the year 1989, covering my 1980s requirements, so I will be delving into those quite soon. So thank you, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this look back at Back to the Future, and I hope that you're also enjoying a lot of the nostalgia and also discovering some new films that you may have missed during the 1980s. Enough to click the subscribe button because I'll continue to deliver a film review a week right here on Around the World in 80s Movies. I also want to mention, for those of you who haven't heard it yet, I also do another podcast that covers brand new films that are out in theaters. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Quipster is spelled Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. In addition to Quipster.net, my written review website. Catch up with those Back to the Future films. I'll be back next week with Back to the Future Part 2. Looking forward to that. 